so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast, where our goal is to help you think biblically about today's cultural issues. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and on today's episode, we're going to pick back up with our series on gender and sexuality, specifically addressing the sexual revolution and how our culture's understanding of sexuality has been shaped by changing philosophies. A few weeks ago, we learned that Genesis 1 teaches God created us male and female in His image. Because we're created, God gets to set the boundaries for our lives. But the fall and our sin nature affects how we view ourselves and our bodies. We also heard about the sexual revolution and how it feeds us the same lie the serpent did in the garden. Did God really say? Today's discussion is going to explore the sexual revolution more in depth and how Christians can think about it. You're going to hear again from our colleagues on the research team, Alex Ward and Jason Thacker. We're also going to hear from our friend, Katie McCoy. Katie McCoy serves as the Director of Women's Ministry at Texas Baptist. She holds a PhD in Systematic Theology from Southwestern Seminary, where she served on faculty for five years. She's the author of To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. We talked to Katie at the ERLC booth during this year's Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. Many of us look at where we are as a society regarding sexuality and are bewildered. We don't understand how so many people can be led astray in such fundamental ways. To make sense of it, Alex Ward and Katie McCoy help us think through the sexual revolution and other cultural movements that have influenced our nation. I should uh, caveat this with my training is as a historian. So when you ask me to like, when did things start? Like, I want to be like, oh, there's a specific date, but also there's, you know, a hundred years of previous history you need to know about. So everything I'm going to say now, I want to have the caveat of these ideas didn't come in a vacuum. Like these were part of longer trajectories and trends. But when we talk about the sexual revolution, typically what we mean is kind of the 1960s, 1970s, especially the 1960s. So in 1960, we see the introduction of the pill, which becomes this massive cultural moment where all of a sudden, like sex can be divorced from pregnancy and procreation in a way that it hadn't been before. In 1965, we have court cases that affirm that couples have a right, married couples have a right to contraception because of a right to privacy, which is then the basis for the 1973 decision in Roe v. Wade which finds a right to privacy and right to abortion. So even now, if your birth control fails and you become pregnant, abortion says we can totally terminate your pregnancy. So all of this is kind of like 
in the the culture and it's a new understanding of what how does sex relate to procreation and pregnancy there are also new understandings of what does gender mean so you see second wave feminism at that point which is really kind of saying that there is no distinction between men and women um, but they're also in saying that there is no difference between men and women it kind of sets a trajectory for where we see, find ourselves today with transgenderism of uh, there's no difference. So now we can change our gender identity. So, you know, when we talk about the sexual revolution, it's both a cultural moment. It's new ways of thinking about sex, thinking about gender, um, our relationship to one another as sexed and gendered beings. And that has its kind of long-term effects even into the present moment. So, you know, we're downstream from the sexual revolution. I don't actually think that it's ended. I think that it is picking up pace because, you know, if you look at say, the gay rights movement of the 1970s. It took from the 1970s until 2015 and a Burgerfell for same-sex marriage to be legalized and permitted. In that short amount of time, we have seen transgenderism go from something that nobody understood to now just a common part of expectations in life. We've seen the rise of non-monogamous relationships like polyamory. People questioning like, oh, do I even have to be married to one person? I can be married to multiple people. To the point now where even one third of people in Gen Z, the youngest kind of cohort, uh, are identifying as somewhere on the LGBT spectrum. So like this idea that it is reshaping the way that we think about sex and gender, it's not slowing down. It hasn't gone away. People are looking around going, how did we get here? And it seems like overnight the world just changed. But the truth is, it hasn't been overnight. We've been brewing here for a while. I like to think about it as a big pot of soup. And into this soup have been all these different ingredients added, thrown in, simmering and stewing. And now we're just seeing the fruits of that soup. So much of it is philosophical. And uh, don't let that word scare you. We are all affected by philosophy in many different ways. Some of those philosophies include that we are in a postmodern culture, meaning absolute truth is not only non-existent, but even if truth was out there, we couldn't access it, is how postmodernism would say. It's that we're all so shaped by our personal experiences that it's impossible to even understand what truth would be. So anybody who claims to have the market on it is either lying or trying to control you. And then on top of that, we have um, an idea called expressive individualism. And that's not just individualism. Like if you're a Westerner, someone in Western culture, you're an individualist. If you're an American, you're a super individualist. But expressive individualism takes it even further. It says that your feelings are your true self and that your highest good is to express your feelings and to get rid of any influence that could be trying to make you conform into your inauthentic self. And it's this idea that not only do we have some authentic self that is underneath us, so to speak, emotionally trying to break free, but that that authentic self is our highest possible good. And then throw all of that into all of that big pot of soup. We are living in a post-Christian culture. That means that culture likes a lot of the ideas of Christianity, perhaps a lot of the virtues of Christianity, like equality, being kind, generosity, but it does not like any of Christianity's claims. Certainly not claims like Jesus is Lord, 
The way to be forgiven is to have a reconciled relationship to God through Christ, and certainly not what the Bible has to say about how we live and how we use this gift of human sexuality. So this is something that we have been leading towards for decades. Isaiah 5, 20 through 21 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. This passage carries the idea of a people who are trying to redefine reality, which is exactly what we do with sin, and it's what's happening in our day with those who want to redefine God's design for sexuality. Alex and Jason Thacker explain how the biblical ethic helps us make sense of all of this confusion. In the wake of the sexual revolution, we're being told that everything about your identity, you can choose it. You can make whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. As long as it makes you happy, it doesn't hurt anybody. That's all that matters. And so part of our confusion is, again, just our failure to recognize we're a created being. God has designed us with certain limits. And, you know, our attempts to overcome those are attempts to replicate and be God rather than to recognize our humanness and our creatureliness. A lot of this is tied up in this idea that we're self-defined, we're self-created, and that we're really kind of the arbiters of our own soul or arbiters of our own truth. And I think that goes back to that Genesis 3 reality that that's a lie that was breathed right out of the mouth of Satan, that somehow we could define ourselves and seek to rebel against God's good design and God's creation. And I think that's where the biblical ethic helps us to kind of reframe to say, this didn't happen five years ago. This didn't happen 20 or 30 years ago. This is something that's really a plague on humanity, and that's the outworking of sin which naturally then goes into how we navigate these issues in culture as we realize not only God's good created order, the presence of sin, but the good news of Jesus and how he frees us from the shackles of sin, the shackles of self-delusion, and helps us to reorient our entire lives around this truth, this truth of who God is and how he created us in his very image. Two questions we've encountered lately in the midst of our self-defining culture, questions past generations never would have dreamed of, are— What is a man and what is a woman? Whereas the biblical account was once assumed and accepted, it's now being rejected. Here are Alex and Katie to help us with answers. So uh, this feels like a, a very simple question, but it's actually very complicated and hard to answer. And I think in some ways it's hard to answer because it's just a question that has been so assumed for so long. Like to ask the question, what is a man, what is a woman, even 30 years ago, would have just been nonsensical. Like everyone knows what this means. If I was going to give it a very short answer about what the Bible is teaching us, I would say to be a man is to be a person with a male body. The reason it's so difficult to define, and we can get into this later, is all of the things in our culture that have been trying to inform that definition. And the simplest definition of a woman is an adult human female. Now to even say that today sounds like a bigoted statement because it goes against uh, the prevailing cultural ideas that would say that a woman is a feeling, a disposition, perhaps a set of characteristics, or someone who identifies with culturally feminine things or attitudes. 
But at the core of that is a separation of the body from the self. And that's much of what, from a Christian worldview, we're combating with this very prevailing idea in our culture today. Some of the pushback and confusion in our culture, and even in the church, comes from overemphasizing cultural stereotypes regarding what it means to be a man or a woman. So how can we correct our thinking? When we think about the difference between male and females, we've already spoken to is that God has created us in this complementary relationship that each, the male and the female, have infinite value, dignity, and worth as image bearers of the Almighty God. And He's called us to different things, different responsibilities, not only within the church, but even throughout all of society and even the family that we're complementary. We need one another that men and women both are image bearers of the Almighty God, have infinite value, dignity, and worth, and that there isn't a hierarchy in that sense between men and women. What's true, and I think what Scripture is showing us, is that these are all like the outworkings of our sexed bodies that God has created us with that are good. So these kind of cultural expectations that we put on our sexed bodies are part of God's good design. And I think the problem can sometimes come in where we magnify those cultural expectations but we have to keep in mind that like god has created us with a diversity of people and all of us are image bearers but to be male and to be female are intricately tied to what it means to be a sex body to have certain biological characteristics to have a body built around a certain biological reality so i think the key for us is to never say more than what scripture says and to not put boundaries and restrictions on people that go beyond scripture, um, but to also never say less. We don't want to act as if scripture is silent on these issues. So, you know, in our current culture, I'll take, you know, my background. I grew up in the rural South in early part of the 21st century. In the rural South where I grew up, very common for young boys to hunt, to fish, to play football, basketball, like wild game nights were common at my church that I grew up. These are not things that uh, I, as a, you know, a guy who really enjoys like reading poetry and sitting alone and listening to music and, you know, reading like John Steinbeck, like novels. These, these are things that don't like match onto like Southern typical masculinity. And I think the church can sometimes adopt a position of saying that our cultural expectations are what the Bible says. Now, I want to speak up in defense of my church and say, you know, we did wild game nights, but also there were a lot of men who just didn't fit that mold. And so I got to see good identifiers of what does masculinity look like? What does it look like to have a masculinity and to understand um, the same Jesus who is like overturning temple tables and is a carpenter and is strong and manly. It's also the same Jesus who's like weeping when his friend dies and that cares about his friends and talks about how he cares about the city of Jerusalem as a mother hand and how he wants to, to nurture them. Like we have to, as the church, be able to have a fully orbed um, understanding of masculinity and femininity so that we're not unintentionally pushing people towards these false definitions. There's a great article uh, recently by Christine Emba where she's talking about like how men have lacked cultural scripts for what does good masculinity look like. And that has often meant that they then turn into either saying it doesn't matter, and so androgyny and masculinity is not a good thing, or they like default to these kind of anonymous Twitter bios and things where like masculinity looks like the guy who's aggressive and a misogynist and all these types of things. 
both of those are out of bounds for the church. And so we have to make sure that we're not unintentionally pushing people towards one extreme or the other by telling them they don't fit our cultural expectation of masculinity. Now, we don't want to, again, go so far as saying like culture is totally irrelevant. And I think sometimes that's the danger is to, in trying to avoid the worst part of toxic masculinity, whatever that means, we swing towards there are no differences. But I think the the Bible gives us a good model of complementarity of the, the image of Christ as strong and meek and mild as gracious. And it shows us that like the same virtues that are called for in the Christian life are not sexed. Like there, there is no special obligation for love, joy, peace, patience for men that there isn't for women or vice versa. You know, I, as a man don't get to say, Oh, I'm not called to be meek and gracious and submissive. No, I am. So we, we have to understand both of those and recognize that I think for many people, within the church. If there have been errors, they haven't been malicious, they haven't been nefarious. Sometimes that occurs, and I don't want to dismiss that. But I think most people genuinely have just accepted the kind of cultural drift more than thinking and reflecting on what the scripture is saying. And it hasn't come from a, a place of like being intentionally trying to harm people so much as just sometimes it's easier to go with the flow. And right now, the culture is so confused, we can't just go with the flow. We have to actually think about and reflect on these things. And that's where the the work comes in for us as Christians, is actually taking time to think deeply about these ideas. Slowing down and thinking deeply is sometimes easier said than done in our fast-paced lives. Many of us don't even know where to begin. A good starting place is to think, as we did in episode one, about the goodness of how God has created us. So one of the things that we can do, we have an amazing opportunity as believers today, is to recapture a very robust theology of humanity. And one way that we really need to focus on that is the holistic understanding of who we are as image bearers of God. One way that we have been influenced by, um, if you want to call it Greek dualism, of mind-spirit dualism, and, and so much of philosophy has been influenced by that, and even early Christian theology. It says that we separate the body, the physical self, from the spiritual self. Now, those are distinct aspects of how God made us, but they're not divisible aspects. Even after we die, if we died today and we were uh, disembodied souls until the Lord Jesus comes back and, re- and unites us with our bodies and we are resurrected with Him. Even that, though, is temporary. It's, it's an unfinished state. And so we were created to be integrated wholes, holistic image bearers of God. We hear it sometimes in our kind of cultural vernacular, or we refer to evangelism as soul winning or saving souls. And that's certainly good, right and proper, but it's our whole being. Go read even just Romans 8 and that connection between our redemption and our actual bodies. Jesus died to redeem the whole person, not just our spirits, although it's our spirits that are made alive. But included in that is our whole being, our minds, our bodies, and our whole person. So one of the things we have to do is describe that being an image bearer of God, especially as we have that foundation from Genesis 1 and 2, 
includes the body, that the body is part of how we reflect the reality of our creator, both individually and then also in relationship. Andrew Walker wrote a book called God and the Transgender Debate, and, and he described it this way. He said, our bodies don't lie to us. And down to the 23rd chromosome of our DNA, God has sovereignly knit us together. Now, we live in a broken world where there are disease defects and deformities, but those things are departures from the design, departures from the norm. We can still trust that our bodies um, are giving us part of our identity, that they reflect our identity as male and female created in the image of God. Christians, again, need to slow down in some sense to be thinking critically and to develop sense of wisdom and discernment to navigate a lot of these questions so that we do so in a way that honors God, honors God's good design for male and female, as well as how he calls us to love him and to love our neighbor as ourself, as we read about Jesus' own words of Matthew 22, to, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. That is the great commandment. That is what God is calling us to do. And I think we can do that as we cultivate a biblical sexuality rooted in the truthfulness of God's good design, rooted in the goodness of God's good creation, God's good revelation of himself in scripture as we seek to navigate the really kind of the wild world of the contemporary West. Living a salt and light in a sexually confused world can seem like an impossible calling. And it is in our flesh. But God has given us the power of His Spirit and everything we need for life and godliness in His Word. As we seek to faithfully live out God's design for sexuality and boldly speak the truth with grace, we can trust that the Lord will use us for His glory and the good of our neighbors. The ERLC Podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. It's produced by Jill Wagner, Lindsay Nicolay, and Elizabeth Bristow. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to being back together with you next time.